Wednesday 13 is my guest today, and we're going to have that interview coming right up for you. But before we get to that, if you could very quickly, please subscribe to my YouTube channel or to the podcast, wherever you listen, you'll be the first to know of new episodes. And I've got some really exciting guests planned for the show. It's going to be a great variety of musicians, authors, psychologists, actors, uh, and other interesting folks. So I think you're going to enjoy them. Uh, back to my guest today, Wednesday 13, he's got a new album coming out in October that we're going to talk about, plus uh, an upcoming tour. And of course, we're going to dig into the old stuff, uh, like when he got the call from Joey Jordanson of Slipknot that jumpstarted his whole music career, the origin of his stage name, and so much more. Don't go anywhere. And it's still early here. I just I just woke up. Well, you're are you in North Carolina, right? Oh, I'm in LA. So this it's 9 a.m. here. Oh, so what the hell are you doing in LA? Is this, are you on tour now? I live in Los Angeles. I've lived here for 13 years. I'm oh. originally from North Carolina. Yeah, but I just I thought uh, you still lived in North Carolina. Yeah. Oh no 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 no. I am a West Coast now. I've been here since 2000. 10 or 2008 2009 i started moving here but i moved here officially in like 2010 so okay do you is that i mean do you feel like you have to be there for the business like for the music it's enough to where it makes sense for you to live there no <laughs> no i'm just wasting money living here raining the weather pretty much uh no los angeles is great i when i i first came here uh it was kind of like an accident i just uh i was going through a divorce and I thought the best thing to do was be 3,000 miles away from my ex. So I just stayed in Los Angeles and uh, it's kind of became home. But at the same time, I tour six months out of the year or used to be eight months out of the year. So I was always traveling. So uh, this has been the the home base and uh, this is where, where I stay now. So we'll see if North Carolina is in the cards for later on in life. We'll We'll find out. But for now, this is where I'm at. Okay. All oh, your bandmates are there too, then? Nope. <laughs> I wish I could make it easy on everybody, but yeah. uh, the, the band has been scattered since this existence, uh, just because everybody was from different places. So as of right now, three of us are in California and the other two, uh, one in Texas and the other one uh, goes between Oregon and the UK because his wife's in the UK. So, uh, so he travels. So whenever, uh, it's not a lot of time for rehearsal. So whenever we get a tour booked, we go, all right, everybody do their homework and we got three days to learn this and we rehearse and go. So there's no, Hey, let's get up, let's get together and rehearse this week. Let's practice this jam. That never, ever happens. Okay. So is the set list for this tour, is it pretty much set for every show or is it, or can you throw in some surprises? I have no idea what we're going to do yet. Uh, I have a list of about 25, 26 songs that, uh, for the guys, for us all to learn, although we usually can't play, but when I do the, the math on it, it's usually about 19 songs. that will fit a 90 minute set with the talking in between and, and the intros, outros, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, for the upcoming tour, which is still, you know, two and a half months away, uh, I just made a list of songs over the, over the course of my career. And, um, we're going to see what, what sounds good when we rehearse and we'll make a set list up. So, I mean, there's preparation for the tour, but a lot of it really, I put it all together once we all get together, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, for sure. So what what kinds of things will there be on stage? Is that going to be a surprise too? Like, I mean, in terms of like stage props and costumes and things? Um, According like the, the last tour we just did was more like a, I'm calling this the 20 years of fear tour, which is what we've just did in the U S and we're about to, the next part is the second leg of that. Um, basically what I did for, for this tour, uh, and I planned for the next tour is we just kind of, we kind of scaled it back. We sort of let the music be the main focus as opposed mm-hmm. to crazy stage props or me running off every three songs and changing into costumes. So, uh, this was really just kind of a celebration of, of the music. And uh, so that's kind of what I've, what I've been going for. Uh, I mean, we're still a visual band. We have all of our, our lights and backdrops and everybody's got their stage outfits and stuff. So um, it's not too much of a, uh, I'm not really predicting a, a crazy uh, theatrical show. This is, again, it's just sort of celebrating the, the last 20 years of, uh, of what I've been doing. So, uh, but there's, again, I come up with stuff all the time i mean we're in the middle of a tour you know i'm like hey i'm gonna do this tonight on stage hey look what i found in behind this this garbage dump here oh let's put this on stage so uh you know like i said i, I have ideas i just kind of i like to do a lot of things kind of at on, on the moment and what what feels right so it's kind of hard to 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 get a plan together and and, and with, like i said when everyone's so scattered apart and yeah i just make the main idea together and once we all get together i see what works and what doesn't okay and then obviously there'll be meet and greets on this too that's a big part of touring now that's like how you guys have to make your money right yes it's been a, a uh, very very good thing for for uh for us and i imagine for other bands as well and uh you know, it's crazy. It's like, I, I think the, the VIP meet and greet thing sort of a, become a uh, standard thing for, I think, what fans expect now. But like, you know, 10, fuck, I don't know, 12 years ago, I think the only bands that were doing VIPs were like Kiss that I knew of. Mm-hmm. And you paid, you paid like a grand to do it. And I remember back in 2009, I started doing VIPs and meet and greets for the first time. No other bands around me were doing that kind of thing. I was just fucking broke. And I just started, <laughs> I was fucking broke. And I'm like, man, how can we make some extra money on this tour? And I'm like, well, fuck, people will pay a grand to meet Kiss. Maybe somebody will pay a hundred bucks to meet me, but I'll give them this. I'll give them a backstage pass. I'll give them the, they can come to the sound check. They can get a t-shirt from the merch. They get to hang out with us. So I kind of just, went i always refer to kiss kiss is the greatest uh, my favorite band probably of all time and merchandise and everything they've done has just been what i kind of modeled everything after so uh so when i started doing the meet and greets back in 2009 i i kept doing those every year up up until now i mean i used to do vi pizza parties on the bus with 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 meet and greet people and just i I've pretty much done everything, uh, be a roadie for a day, be my guest for the day, get to hang out with me on the, you know, so I've did every little level. Uh, and then after the COVID break, we, uh, you know, we came back out for this last tour and our meet and greets had like quadrupled in, in numbers. Like it was just, I, I feel like that's just a thing that people feel like it's part of the deal. They can buy a ticket to the show. They can beat the band. Uh, but before I used to be kind of like pulling teeth, go, come on, you know, you want to meet us? Come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So do you like doing that? Or is that kind of, it seems like it'd be a little bit stressful because you're trying to get ready for a show and now you got to have fans at the sound check and everywhere. Or? Yeah. That's why I, I kind of stopped doing 
Well, the, the, I guess the thing about in the past was when I offered those slots, it was only a, a couple of people. It wasn't mm. like you had 10, 20 people. Right. Now we do greet. Sometimes we, you know, we pull up the venue and they go, oh, you got 30 meet and greets today. And I'm like, fuck, I can't put 30 people on the side of the stage. So luckily I've took my responsibilities down as far as being a, uh, a host for the whole day. We just, we have our, we have our meet and greet. Usually it's around sound check or after sound check, people come in and do the thing, but I've, I've definitely uh, took it to extreme levels before over the years where I'm just like, man, I don't have time to do my show anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm busy doing this. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, you, you kind of live and learn with these things and learn what you can do and what you can't, what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Well, what, and so what about with merch? Cause you used to have like toy figures and stuff, not this round. You're not going to have the toys, but you'll have shirts and patches and anything else. Everything. I mean, uh, I'm all about, like I said, mentioning kiss before they're yeah. the merchandise King. So I always kind of model everything I do after that. So I want our, when you come into our show, I want our merchandise and everything to look like you just went to the Wednesday 13 store. Uh, nice. so, um, yeah, I mean, I, we, we try to have as much stuff as we can there. I mean, you have your typical shirts and tour shirts and we have patches and flags and hats. And, uh, like you mentioned in the past, I've did like, uh, I worked with a company before that did some action figures. So one tour, we had like a limited, uh, 25 like action figures that were autographed, uh, that we sold and which we're going to do again in the, in the future. We just, we, I don't have it exactly planned for, for this upcoming run, but, uh, I'm always trying to throw little surprises and stuff. I mean, everybody in the band, we sell guitar picks, uh, all kinds of stuff at the table. So like I said, it's like your one stop Wednesday 13 shop. That's awesome. And so, and this round too, there's not going to be any opening bands that you're necessarily taking on tour. Is it going to be local bands that will be opening? Yeah, we, uh, we tried this the last time. I mean, you know, most times when you see any bands, you'll see a tour package. You'll be you know, this band and support from this band and you're, opening band and then they'll also get local bands on the shows um but for us again you know when you're when you're coming out of the 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 covid (laughs) crisis and gas is you know uh ridiculous now so we uh there's there's always we're always trying to find ways to, to 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 make a little extra money uh and everything so it's just uh yeah man it's uh it's it's been a Every time we go on tour, I learn something new and learn a different way to, to do something, I think. Yeah. So that's good because the local bands will bring in their own fans and then hopefully they'll stay for to see watch you guys. That's that's a smart way to get more fans in. You're right. I mean, uh, it's basically like this. If we took a band like I was I kind of got off track before, but what I'm saying is if you take a, if we take support bands with us and the venue says, All right, we're gonna give Wednesday 13 X amount of money, but we gotta give you know, 500 to this band and this band gets another 300 and you go on, well, okay. And then the last tour, my agent goes, well, you know, if you don't take any bands, you'll just get all that money yourself. And I went, why didn't we do this before? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, you know, so that's literally, it's, it's all, it was about money. It's uh, you know, cause sometimes we take support bands with us, even though I like the support bands, you know, giving them 500 bucks or something. And they go, wow, we draw, we brought five people here and now you're getting 500 bucks. So it's, you know, it's like, uh, so it basically makes the local bands work. They get to sell the tickets. It's in the, vin- it's in the local venue. So it's not just, uh, someone coming from out of the blue and going, Hey, where's everybody at? We have responsibility from the, from the venues to sell tickets in the band. So that's just something we tried the last tour. It worked out for us financially. Uh, we had a lot of 
met a lot of cool bands. Most of the fans that, uh, bands that open up for us are are fans, you know. So uh, it's it's been a it's been a cool thing, you know. It's uh, like I said, every year we learn different ways of doing things or how to do things or how not to do things. So uh, taking doing the thing just on our own, not taking a support band, worked out for us. And we're, so we're trying it again this time, and we'll see if it does the same as it did last. Cool. So then tell me about the new album. It's coming out in October that you wrote like over 50 songs for this one. I wrote about 50 ideas. Ideas. Uh, okay. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, we only put like 11, 11 tracks on the record. And I mean, I guess that's kind of a normal thing I do with, with every record. I just, I write a lot of stuff, you know, uh, and that's, you know, 50 things. I that's collectively between what, what I came up with, uh, what our guitarist and bass, everyone kind of threw a bunch of songs in. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the COVID thing was was not, uh, even though we had the time off, I know a lot of bands took that time off to go, oh, well, fuck, I got nothing to do. We'll write a record. And that's our mindset too. Okay, we got nothing to do. Let's write a record. But I just was so uninspired to to write during that time. I found this this two years off be the, it was the hardest time to write or at least the hardest time for me just to i was just second guess to myself a lot so that's why i wrote all these songs like i the, the first 10 songs that i wrote are what's on the new album oh <laughs> okay I kept, I kept second guessing myself oh. and i kept rewriting stuff so i probably rewrote this record or ideas for it probably three different times and okay. then finally at the end, i went i think i like the first batch of stuff i wrote the best and with was, some of the stuff you wrote, it was just kind of too depressing because it's like if you if you're in that pandemic phase, it was kind of a depressing time. So it's a depressing time. I mean, for for everybody, that was just the, the world shut down, you know, and yeah. then also during those two years, I, I lost my mother. I, I lost my buddy, Joey Jordison. Uh, so I had not only what everybody else was going through, I had that on top of it. So that was a that was a difficult thing. It's still difficult to process that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I normally I turned to music to to kind of get me out of that spot. And I was writing stuff that just wasn't it wasn't really helping. Um, hmm. and, I, and I promised myself I wasn't going to make a sad, depressing record coming out of COVID. I, was, I refused, even though I was sad and depressed and still and still am to an extent. Uh, but I wanted to make a fun record. So that's why this record's just been I'm just excited for it to get out. You know what I mean? I've never sat on a record and worked on something and had to wait this fucking long for something to come out. So, uh, um, so yeah, it's just been a, it's been a weird record. And also it was, this is the ninth Wednesday 13 record, you know, um, that's almost in my mind, I compare it to like, if you're making the ninth Friday, the 13th would be like, where the fuck do you go from here? How do you keep the fans happy? How do you, keep them in, how do you not go overboard and so i just a lot all that time just gave me too much time to to, to think about stuff and uh so yeah this record's been a I, I i love the record it turned out great i'm super happy with it but at the same time i've just been way too close to it uh mm-hmm. so i'm excited i'm excited for everybody else to get to hear it and get opinions of it and you know that's kind of how what you always do with a record you, you you make something you like and you hope everybody else is going to like it too. So I think once I hear everybody else's reaction to it, that'll, that'll make it a little better, but it's just, it's been a weird time. I don't have really how to explain it, but it was just, I was uninspired. 
but somehow we pulled a great record out of this. Okay. Can you give us any uh, song titles or themes? I know, I think I heard you say there's a song about Christine, the Stephen King book and movie. Um, You know, again, I didn't really try to, I didn't try to delve into uh, any personal things. This is still just a horror movie album. Um, So we have a song, Christine Fury in the Night, which is about my favorite, one of my favorite John Carpenter films. Uh, we also, I have a, a a sequel to one of my older songs. We have a song called Return to Haddonfield, which is like part two to one of my old Halloween songs. Uh, but uh, one of the, the the first single, which we're going to do the video for in like two weeks, is a song called You're So Hideous, which to me sounds like it could be an Alice Cooper single. It sounds, it's it's like poison. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's got that vibe to it, at least with me, but, cool. I, but I, the vibe of it. Uh, and another song we had, which uh, was kind of inspired by the pandemic. I remember the very, they have a new song called uh, It's a Good Day to Be a Bad Guy. And I wrote that title the very first day that I heard that masks were mandatory. And I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? You're going to force people to wear a mask? I'm like, well, it's a good fucking day to be a bad guy. That's and a cool that, title. I like that. Name that the title. So that's that's one of the standout tracks to it. That's the very one of the very first songs I wrote, uh, like early on, and like I said, and uh, it's got old Wednesday thirteen vibes, murder dolls vibes to it. It's just uh, the the song is as cool as the title. I was, okay. I was is yeah. there some like I I like some of the some of the song titles even of your old songs. Just like before you even hear the song, you're like, oh, that's a great title. Like you had a song called Your Mother Sucks Cocks in Hell. I was like, oh, that's like the line from The Exorcist. And that's yeah. a great song, too. Is there songs like that with the, with those kinds of titles? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of been my my little shtick that I've always stuck to is like, like you said, before you even hear the song, you read the title and go, whoa, that's cool. Yeah. So it's always very important to me to have song titles when you look at the CD or an album before you buy it. You go, whoa. I got to hear this. You don't have song yeah. one, you know, like every title has got to have, and, and I like, I'll spend weeks staring at a track listing and go, man, that doesn't, that doesn't look right. We rearrange this. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of been my little shtick. I've always done as I've always kind of made catchy songs, but then throw in lyrical stuff and make what, what did he just say? You know, it's like, like you said, your mother sucks cocks in hell. Like, that title alone is going to get someone's attention. But uh, like and I said, our, our first single, it's super catchy, but it's got the word fuck in it. I don't know how many times <laughs> it's, part of the, it's part of the chorus. You okay. know? So it's almost like, all right, that's a catchy chorus, but fucking is in the chorus. It's called you're hideous. It's called you're so hideous. You're so fucking hideous is what I say. So it's just like you got this catchy song, but you're going, oh, that can't be on the radio. I can't, you know, uh, oh, so you have to do an edit or something or do you even care anymore? Uh, well, if miraculously this song somehow strikes millions and they go, Hey, let's, let's get a radio edit. Then it would just ruin the whole vibe of the song. So no, right. I haven't okay. had any ideas. I mean, it's, it's crazy that, like I said, that, that song, you're so hideous and good day to be a bad guy are my two favorite songs on the record, two singles catchy, but they got the word fuck in it probably 20 times each. So what do you think that even matters anymore? Like what, what, what age would you recommend kids be to listen to one of your albums or come to a show? Like, do you think there's a cutoff at some point? Um, no, I mean, at this day and age, I mean, there's, 
our fans are having kids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I have a granddaughter who's almost five and I got a video of her yesterday listening to one of my songs with a monster mask on. And I'm like, you're five, you know? Uh, so it, I don't even know. I'm not the person to judge and say, this is the <laughs> age for people. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I think what it all comes around to is my music has always been fun it's never been able to take too seriously. So even if kids did get into it, I think you're still going to have a good kid. He's just going to have a, you know, a, a bad sense of humor. Or yeah. Kid. So do you think that's partly like the parenting and stuff though? Cause I mean, do you ever worry about that? Like, I mean, probably not as much now, maybe more uh, when your fans were younger, but then again, like you said, your fans are having kids. Like when you have the song, what's the one you had about the song you have about suicide or whatever. Like, do you worry that someone's going to be inspired to do some sort of real murder or real suicide? No, um, you know, I, I also think, you know, again, my kind of songs, if I have like a suicide song, I, maybe you're talking about summertime suicide. Yeah. That yeah, song is yeah. That song is basically a Romeo and Juliet song. I tell a story, so I'm not right. saying, you know, go and kill yourself <laughs> or anything. I'm just, I, I, I tell stories that way. So I don't, I really haven't thought about, about, like I said, I, for some reason, I feel like people get my sense of humor. So they don't ever look at it like that. You can take a band like us or Alice Cooper and go, I get it. Sense of humor, fun. And then you look at a band like Satyricon or Behemoth, which I love and go, maybe they're a little scarier. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, big difference between that. It's, right. Uh, but it's art. So, but I guess the, the other th the side of the coin is that there may be people that there are probably a lot more that listen to your music where it saves them. Like I know for me, like metal as a kid, like that got me through being a teenager because being a teenager sucks. But then you listen to metal and you're like, all right, you get out your anger with some Pantera or something. Yeah. I mean, that's always been my escape. Music has always been my escape for me. Uh, uh, all those bands I grew up on, you know, are still my favorite bands. I still, ones I listen to, like, I don't even really listen to anything new except for me. Um, yeah, I'm always listening to classic stuff and that's just, uh, yeah, music has always been an escape for me. And I feel the same way for what I do for, for my fans. I'm giving them an, an escape from reality. They come to my show and turn off their brain. They don't think about work. They don't think about their life. They can get in to the show. And, and, and that's what I hear people all the time. But I hear, even though my music, whatever you want to call it with your mother sucks cocks in hell and these kind of songs. <laughs> it's a great I have, title. I have people with these VIPs we were just talking about earlier. Yeah. I mean, every single day there is one person that will do the VIP. We'll do the picture. I'll sign stuff and they'll pull me like the sign. Hey, I just want to tell you that you saved my life. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, like I went through horrible time, blah, 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 just different stories. But people, mm -hmm. I hear that every, every single day on tour. Um, and it makes me go, man, this is, this is worthwhile. I am, I am helping people. So I never hear anybody going, you know what? I listened to your music. I did a lot of fucked up stuff. It's always <laughs> like your music saved yeah. me from, from, from death or this relationship or I'm going through this. So, so it's, it's, I fucking love hearing stuff like that. That's so cool. And, it, and every day, like, you know, I'm doing the meet and greets and I'm just like, wow. And, the, and the, we have our merchandise person who brings the VIPs in. And I'm like, did you just hear that? I'm like, wow, man. You know, so every day we'll sit and talk and uh, 
it's just a, it's such a cool thing. And music has been, has been a healing thing for, for me and knowing that I can do that for my fans. Just, there's nothing better than that. It can make my bad day instantly change into a good day when someone tells me that, like, I, I don't know how you can even not react to that, you know? No, that's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, cause your, your story is pretty inspiring too. Like, I mean, you, you, you were driven to make it right. I mean, you were working at like, was it Kmart or Walmart where Kmart. you get to tell me the story. I didn't understand this. Like the guy, uh, Joe, when Joey called you from Slipknot, like he found, how did he even find your number? Like he listened to the, uh, drag uh, Frankenstein drag queen band and then he w- recruited you for the murder dolls. Yes. Uh, I'll try to make this short story, but it's uh, okay. <laughs> basically I, I was a uh, 19, uh, 99 or 97 to like 2000. I worked at Kmart. Then I, uh, then 2000 to 2001, I worked at a magazine delivery. I drove a big truck that delivered mag. everything you see in your grocery stores, your national Enquirer, your, uh, every, everything, every Rolling Stone, any magazine you saw, that was my job. So I was doing that, that job. And at the time I had just put out the third Frankenstein drag queen CD. You could order it from me through the mail. I'd mail it from my house. And the guy that Joey was playing with, he had a, Joey had a band called the rejects in Des Moines that he would do on the side of Slipknot when they would have off tour. So the front guy of that band told Joey like, Hey, check out this band, Frankenstein drag queens. I ordered this CD from this guy, check it out. And I guess he made a copy and Joey took it on tour and listened to it. And when he came back and he was putting together the idea for the rejects again, because rejects is only two people, Joey and another guy, and they would get other people to kind of fill in the thing. So I was on the list of people that could potentially be in this band. And, uh, but at this, this time Slipknot was coming off the road for their second, off their second album. And they knew they were going to be off the road for probably a couple of years. So Joey was putting a more serious project together. I think he, he was in his mind. He's like, okay, I'm going to do the rejects with this, new lineup. And at the time trip from static X was involved in it. Uh, so Joey was trying to make like this kind of like little new super group. And uh, when I came in, I was literally just the bass player. I was going to play bass, which is odd enough. Uh, yeah, you didn't play bass and you play guitar and sang, right? I play guitar, But most people, if you can play guitar, you can play punk rock bass. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm like, you know, but at the time I'm sort of driving a fucking delivery truck and I'm like, you know what? I'll play bass. I'll play a kazoo. I don't give a fuck. I'll get, I want out. I want into this world. I want to do this. And once uh, I started working with Joey, he was just like, he kind of said the same thing as me. He's like, you're not a bass player. You're a front guy. And these are your hmm. songs and you should do it. So I, switched to the front guy status and that's kind of where it all, it all started. So, uh, but the the moment where he called you, I mean, that must've been a a crazy moment to get a phone call and it's like, Hey, this is Joey from Slipknot. Cause had you ever met him before or anything? No. And here's what was so cool about it. And, and again, like I'm friends. I mean, I obviously (laughs) I know the Slipknot family. I'm friends with Corey Taylor. All I, I know all those guys now, but when Joey Jorison called me, I wasn't a fan of Slipknot. I wasn't a hater either. I just wasn't, it wasn't my thing, you know? Uh, but I obviously knew who they were because I had literally just put the Rolling Stone cover on the shelf that they were on. Oh, and wow. he calls me, me and leaves a message on my answer machine. Like, Hey, this is Joey Jorison, a Slipknot. Give me a call. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I called the dude up. 
I don't know who he is. I'm just in my mind, I'm visualizing that cover of Rolling Stone. And I'm like, so which, which guy are you? <laughs> and there's like 20 of you. And he's like, I'm the cool looking guy. I'm the, glam, <laughs> I'm the glam guy. I'm the guy with the redness here. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm like, you are the cool looking guy. So uh, he's like, are you a fan of Slipknot? And I'm like, nope, ain't my thing. And I was like, I don't really, I said, I, and that, and during that time when Joey first met me, I was, uh, I was a glam rock, punk rock, just diehard. You know, if, if I didn't like other stuff and, I was like, he goes, do you like Slipknot? I was like, ah, ain't my thing. You guys look goofy. Do you like you're bobbing for apples when you're doing this stuff on stage? Like, <laughs> I would, I would make fun of this stuff, and he loved it. What? He, he was like, he thought it was hilarious because he didn't necessarily want someone that idolized him. You right. know what I mean? Like, he really he respected you a lot for saying that. We just became friends, and it wasn't because this guy's in Slipknot. I could, I did. I didn't care. You know what I mean? So he just always thought that was the coolest thing was that I wasn't like, uh, you know, a, a, a slipknot like diehard. And over the years I've come to love slipknot, respect everything they do, understand the band, you know? Uh, but at the time I was like, I don't care about this, whatever you guys, whatever. That's uh, funny that you would even just say that though. You wouldn't say, yeah, yeah. you would lie and say you're a fan cause you wanted to get the job or whatever. No, <laughs> no, I didn't. I mean, but again, I, I just, I've always been honest when I do stuff and uh, I'm like, eh, it's not my thing, you know, like, uh, and there's tons of bands that I'm friends with and I don't necessarily like their music. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not a, I'm not a heavy metal guy. I grew up on, on rock and, and, and punk rock. And that's kind of always been, been my thing. I'm, I'm friends with all these bands that are huge, heavy bands. And I'm like, you're my buddy, but I, like I've been friends with Randy at Lamb of God for years, and I don't think I listened to him till about two or three years ago. <laughs> Same thing wow. with Jamie, Jamie from Hatebreed, uh, and like knew him for years. I did a tour for six weeks and never even saw them play, but I hung out with him every day. You know, so that's I don't know. That's just you meet a lot of cool people in this business, and it doesn't matter. They're not friends because they like each other's bands. They're just friends. That's and interesting. That's a lot of people. So that's a, that's a refreshing. I'm sure that's true, but a lot of people wouldn't admit that. A lot of, oh yeah, I, I like this. You just are more honest. Yeah, you know, and some people just they choose not to say anything. I'm sure there's people that are friends with me that hate my band. Yeah, I say, it sucks. I like Wednesday. He's cool. All right, good enough. <laughs> but yeah, so you are a fan of like the more of the glam rock and stuff, though. Like I heard you say, which I was like, oh my god, we're kindred spirits because you love Skid Row and you love Sebastian Bach, that Slave to the Grind album. That was oh. the same thing for me. That was like, oh, this, this is such a great album. That's the reason I started singing. Uh, Skid Row was was my fuck. What was that? Ninth grade, tenth grade uh, year of, of high school meeting my high school sweetheart we both love skid row she thought sebastian was and i did too i thought he was he was the ultimate rock star and i could just Everyone. and i see how he would move the audience and make girls scream make every guy wanted to be him and every girl wanted him kind of kind of deal and i was like this could be a good job maybe i could get into this so but again i'm 15 year old 14 year old guitar player never even tried to sing before but uh once I started, joined, I joined a band, became a guitarist. We couldn't find a vocalist for six, seven months. And I went, fuck it, I'll try it. So I grabbed the mic and I started singing and everybody's like, whoa, you sound cool. 
And I'm like, all right. So that's when I started trying to do it. So Sebastian and, and Alice Cooper are my voice models. And if you listen to my voice, that's exactly what I sound like. It's I, hard I, to I was, sing Sebastian's style though, right? That high, I mean, it's got to hurt your voice. It's hard to do, but I give people every, every tour, not every week, but I have people constantly since I've been doing music. You kind of sound like Sebastian a little bit on this song. Okay. Just little, little hints there. I've never been able to do the belting out kind of stuff that Sebastian can do, but his, his nasty little demeanor and dark added, he just had an attitude with his voice. And that's mm-hmm. something that I was able to, to capture. And, uh, but yeah, Allison and Sebastian were my role models as far as like what I wanted to sound like. And somehow I, I did it. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. So and you were a crew fan too, right? Or, or still a crew yeah. fan was crew. Yeah. So I was confused on this is crew Motley crew, your first tour, or was it tough? Cause I thought I heard both things. My very first concert was Motley crew, Dr. Feelgood. Okay. My very, it was. First, my very first club concert was tough. Oh, okay. That's yeah, what it is. So that was the two first uh, two bands I saw. One on a giant level, like Dr. Feelgood. I saw Warrant and, and Motley Crue on the Dr. Feelgood tour. So I'll see your Warrant behind you, which yeah, one of my favorite. Jenny Lane, rest in peace. Yeah. Awesome, awesome vocalist, awesome songwriter. Underrated, I, I think. Many, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to Warrant over the last two years. It's, it's, my, it's my to-go-to music Uh and I saw them in their prime. I saw them right when Down Boys had came out, and they fucking killed it. So there was no going back for me, seeing that as a first concert, seeing Warrant and Motley Crue in 1987, 88. And, like, dude, that was just another level. I want to do this. Yeah. Do so who are the punk rock influences then? Uh, I mean, originally, you know, when I first discovered, like, like like Sex Pistols was my another one a big influence on me. Sex Pistols and the Ramones were were my mm. were my two favorites. Uh, but you know I also got into like the Damned. I got into Anti Nowhere League. Uh, just there was this there was so much of it. But after after a while, it kind of just all started bleeding together for me. So I just kind of picked out a few bands. But the Sex Pistols and the Ramones have been probably the the biggest influence on 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 me as far as punk bands and writing goes like my my line in dead in hollywood for murder dolls the d-e-a-d that's how i want to be is basically the ramones d-u-m-b everyone's accusing me that's oh, yeah. that's what i do so yeah uh, yeah that's cool so now you're listening to every you like i know you like uh, i heard you say like killing joke but also you're listening to 70s r&b like curtis mayfield and just you listen to country and stuff too, because you have the Bourbon Crow project. Uh, and these, like I said, these last two years off for the COVID, basically just sitting around. Like all the music I listened to was just. Uh, I went back and listened to a bunch of old, like early, like eighties, late seventies country. The stuff that I used to hear my parents playing on the radio when I was a kid, and you know. You don't want to like what your parents like when, when I was younger, but your parents liked it. You hated it. So I didn't understand country music wasn't on my radar. It was just like Ugh, that kind of music. But over the, over the last two years, I went back and started hearing some of these songs and they were just like, dude, it blew my mind. I'm like, Whoa, I remember my mom playing this in the kitchen, you know, when I was a kid and like, and listen to some of these songs and, and like country music speaks to me now because I've lived my life. 
like country songs are about life struggles and things like that. And when you're a kid, you don't have life struggles then. You don't care. You know what I mean? Like it does, it, it didn't relate to me. Um, so yeah, I just went back and listened to a lot of old, old country stuff, everything from like, you know, early Hank Williams junior stuff, which his story is amazing too. how that guy, he had like 13 albums on the, on the top 40 charts at one time, which is damn. Yeah. At one time it was like, fuck. uh, but just the stories on some of these guys were they're, they're better than some of the rock star stories that you hear. Like, uh, Hank Williams Jr. Fell off of a mountain. <laughs> he fell off of a mountain, a tourist face off. People don't know that. That's why I didn't know that. Cat. Yeah. I didn't know that story. So it's just, you know, it's, he wrote songs about, about it as well. So it's just a, uh, I don't know the, the stories of some of those guys I relate to a, a little bit more. I'm also from the country and from the South. So, that's just another thing I could relate to. And, um, and just a lot of good songs, like really good. They're not really country. They're almost like pop songs. Uh, so listen to that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm a huge Eddie Money fan. I listen to Eddie Money like nonstop. I always refer to Eddie Money whenever I write a good song. If that's a hit, that's what Eddie Money would do. I'd do it like that. Uh, but I, I really found myself not listening to metal or anything really heavy at all. Like I said, the most current thing i hear is myself everything else is kind of you know i listen to old 80 stuff from warrant to it's just everything i grew up on is what i kind of listen to now and nothing new has really inspired me or something i want to listen to all the time there's a lot of great bands out there you know uh but i just don't i don't know i find myself listening to the older stuff do people send you music all a lot like younger bands and things hey check out my demo or whatever yeah, I mean, on tour, bands will give me their CDs. And, and, and but like I said, a lot of these bands will give me, and I could tell we're direct influence on. Like, check out my band, The Grave Robbers from Hell. And here's, oh, cool. All right. You know, so uh, I definitely check that stuff out. But uh, I don't get a lot of uh, new new stuff. Uh, you know, for the most part, bands just hand me their, their CDs, but like nobody's really forced anything on me. Or uh, again, I'm always looking, I'm always open. My ears are always open to hear something something new. Wow. That's cool. I like that. Like I just heard the new Ozzy Osbourne song before we got on this, this podcast. And I'm like, that's, sounds like Ozzy to me. That's pretty cool. I'm not going to listen to it all day, but I like it. That's cool. Yeah. I, yeah. Cause so many bands are still making music. It's it's, you get lost in how much stuff and it's all available. It's all for free or whatever. I, I can't keep it with other bands because I can barely keep up with myself. Like I said, this is the, <laughs> This is a lot of music. This is the ninth Wednesday 13 record. This is like, so it's just, uh, it's a lot to, I've noticed that for me, I was a huge music fan, but once I started my own career and this has been what I do nonstop, I don't have the time to invest in those bands like I used to. Uh, like I said, you mentioned Killing Joke earlier. That's probably the last band that I invested like time into because I just, I heard them. I went, this blew my mind. This is awesome. I want to hear everything. So I went back and investigated everything they did, read their history. And that's probably the last band that I kind of like took, took in uh, that, that caught me like that. And that was thanks to, to Joey as well. I never listened to Killing Joke. We were doing the last tour and he's like, because I want to cover this Killing Joke song. I went, I don't know any Killing Joke songs. He goes, well, listen to this. And I listened to it. And went, this is amazing. Why have I not listened to this? And they became like my favorite band. Wow. So I'm sure something else will come along that's not new, but it'll be new to me and I'll jump into it. 
Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, like I said, you get lost though. Cause it's, there's so much music out there, but then it's hard. You got to like, you know, weed through all the crap. There's a lot of crappy music too, but there's a lot of good stuff. You just got to find it. It's hard to find. Yeah. And I think one of my hardest parts about getting into music is just the production level and sounds of, I don't know. There's just a new mix and the way people do stuff. It doesn't sound real to me anymore. It just sounds so processed and so pro tools and so digital that there's just no to me. And uh, that's my problem with a lot of the newer stuff. That's why with this new album, this record to me is just a, this is more of a raw rock and roll strip down. There's no, uh, it sounds like a real record that was recorded with real instruments and real microphones, uh, as opposed to when I hear other bands and it just sounds like it's just too processed for me. And that's just me being an older dude that I just, my, that's my preference. I don't yeah. like the same stuff. So, well, especially uh, for rock, I never understood when rock bands use drum machines, uh, that's a little weird to me. It's just, yeah. Uh, it, everybody can do whatever they want to do. It's just my, my, perfect picture is something that's just more rock, more real, more like what I grew up on. You know, yeah. I like to make music that sounds like music that I listen to. And I was saying all the old hair metal, glam rock stuff. I don't think Wednesday 13 is too far removed from that, that sound. Like I said, hmm. we're like, uh, we've just always, the lyrical content's what's changed us from the hair metal bands. Like we could sound like, uh, you could hear one of our songs, like, oh man, that's super catchy. Then what the fuck did he just say? Your mother sucks cocks in hell. Oh, oh. <laughs> So we're like, uh, we've always been like that violent, mean. So I, I think one person told it, but actually I, I knew who said this to me one day and I went, you're right. Chris Jericho, I remember years oh. ago playing Download Festival. We were taking like a van back from the, the stage and Chris was like, man, I love murder dolls. You guys are like a violent, faster pussycat. That's you know? a good description. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's a perfect description of what we do. Well, they, yeah, uh, those bands like like Guns N' Roses, they kind of had that. I mean, some of the Guns N' Roses songs have some pretty dirty oh, lyrics yeah. and stuff. That was, I was, that's probably the first album where I heard somebody who went, whoa, he just say fucking? He say motherfucker? Like, that was that was pretty intense. And I, and I don't know why that always stuck out to me. Like, when I heard Skid Row, get the fuck out. I'm like, yes. Yeah, uh, right? That's what those bands are the reasons I have probably 20 songs now with the word fuck in the title, which is what I'm known for. I love to say fuck or motherfucker. I don't care. Uh, but all that was inspired because I would hear those bands do that. And I'm like, I want to hear more. I want to hear more bad language. So that's what I do. I know when I, especially when you're a kid, that stuff is like, so, cause you know, like guns and roses for me, like that was the thing. Axl Rose telling people to fuck off. Like I know nobody likes the song, but I loved getting the ring. Cause I was like, he's just telling everybody to fuck off. And so I was like, this song is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember being a kid and getting the guns and roses cassette, like sixth grade was the year when that came out and nobody really knew much about guns and roses, just the first video. And when you heard it's so easy and you heard, Axel's voice changed from that, like it almost like a different person singing. So all yes. my friends were like, "That Slash, Slash sings that song." So we were all confused listening to this record, thinking, "Oh, Axel sings all the high stuff, but all the low register stuff that was that's got to be Slash. Got to be the guy with the top that." You know. So that was another thing I loved about Guns N' Roses. I loved his 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 voice, how he could change. And that's something I've worked on over the years is to do a lower register 
and then do my high thing that I that I do. So it gives me this different levels I can work with. So I don't have to sing in one range all the time. So that's why my songs some some songs are got that low the lowest register I can sing, and then some songs are the highest I could do, and I can somewhere meet in the middle on. Other well, stuff. yeah, and then like the Bourbon Crow, like that that's you singing too, right? That sounds totally different. That doesn't sound and, like Wednesday Thirteen at all. Uh, Bourbon Crow it is me and another vocalist that switch off vocals, but I mean, it's usually, it's right down the middle, 50-50. There's songs that you would never think that's me. That's just my normal voice. And uh, But that was a great thing, too. I mean, that opened up so many doors and just uh, broke down barriers for me, like being able to be on stage with your full band, your whole stage, get up, and you can kill it. But to go on stage, strip down, acoustic guitar, nothing else and you got to win the audience over that's uh that's a struggle and uh i learned how to do it and it was terrifying uh doing an acoustic tour uh, at first but by the time i was done i was so proud of myself i'm like i just did a two-hour acoustic show and this place fucking loved it you know so uh that definitely opened a lot of uh things for me and just i guess made me I don't know. It may be a, be a better front man because when you can, like, I don't know how to explain it to people, but if you have a three, 300 people in a club and you've got an acoustic guitar and you can control that audience, like it gets loud, you know, I mean, you're literally trying to play and you can hear bottles at the bar, people throwing stuff in the trash can, like there's mm. total different world, you know? And, uh, so as terrifying as it was, it, it made me a better, better front man. And I'm, I'm glad I got to do it. Although when I finished that last acoustic tour, I'm like, I'm never doing this again for years. I don't ever want to play an acoustic guitar again. I want to hear distortion. And that's kind of my mindset now. I think it okay. would be cool to do an acoustic tour again, but I think I could wait it out a couple more years. Gotcha. Okay. And then you guys have, so you have the American tour and then you're doing uh, Europe with ministry and the 69 yeah. eyes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then wait, tell me about this show. I'm ex I kind of want to drive up for this. It's Lita Ford, John Five, and is it Enough's Enough at the Rainbow on September fourth? Yeah, the uh, the Rainbow uh, for anybody that's not familiar with Los okay. Angeles and the Sunset Strip. I mean, the Rainbow, the whiskey, uh, all in Sunset Strip is within walking distance. You can walk from the Rainbow to the whiskey. It's like a block. Yeah, you got the rock. You got the Roxy right there as well. Another staple. The Key Club, which used to be Gazzari's, is right beside the Rainbow, but it's not active anymore. Uh, so that little area has always been famous for what it is. But in the past, I guess since COVID or whatever happened, the Rainbow uh, took over the parking lot in between the Roxy and the Rainbow. So now when you go to the Whiskey, you have this whole outdoor thing now. Hmm. So it's not just the inside. The outdoor is kind of like where the parking lot used to be. And they've been doing these outdoor parties for the past few years. And I think this past year, they finally got it right. They got a real stage back there. I think Steel Panther played it last, maybe just a few months ago. Uh, and basically, you just go, you're just basically behind the rocks. You're just outside. There's just a giant stage and you can go into the rainbow and get drinks and get food and hang out. So it's just, it's the ultimate hangout thing. So for this show, all you got to do is buy pay for a ticket, buy two drinks and get in for free. And it's an all day thing. And I think there's bands starting at like three or four o'clock, but it's uh Lita Ford headlines, John five, us enough's enough is on the bill, which I fucking love enough's enough. I'm good friends with chip. 
looking forward to smoking weed with Chip outside the rainbow. Chip always, <laughs> always has the best weed. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for that. That was something that got offered to us. Uh, it's 15 minutes from my house so we can start the tour here. I can rehearse. We can go do that show and then we get on the road. So, uh, yeah, it's always cool to, to, to do something that's not normal. So for us to play a show with Lita Ford and enough's enough, that's not a normal thing, but I wish it was, I wish we did more stuff like that. I mean, uh, and I think it's going to fit well. I mean, the, they obviously thought we were a band that would fit that kind of that style and would fit in for it. I mean, we're, a, like I said, I grew up listening to the Sunset Strip band, so it's pretty cool to be offered to go play a cool show there. So, uh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And John Five, dude, that guy's such a crazy, awesome guitarist. He's an insane guitar player and probably one of the nicest guys I've ever toured with. Uh, we've did, fuck man, I don't know how many shows we've done with him over the past couple of years. And uh, plus, I've toured with with Zombie and and with Murder Dolls and. Uh, John's a huge Kiss fan. I donated a bunch of my Kiss stuff to his museum, his Knights and Satan service thing that he does. Oh. Uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's a big fan of Wednesday 13. He loves my voice. He thinks my autograph is the coolest autograph ever. He's like, your signature is so cool. And I'm like, is it? <laughs> All right. Thanks. That's, that is cool. So wait, when did you, did you, you toured with Zombie when you were in the Murder Dolls? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. When Joey was, Joey was doing double duty. So he was playing drums for Rob Zombie and then we would open up the show. So it would be, uh, so we did that, uh, 2010, 2011, we did Rob Zombie and Rob Zombie, Alice Cooper in the States. And then, uh, we did Rob Zombie and, uh, monster magnet in Australia. Uh, so it, we did a, did a bunch of stuff. And, uh, so I got to know the, the zombie camp and crew and everybody. Plus Piggy was in, was originally in Wednesday 13 on the first album. So, do you we're ever, all we're all intertwined together. We're all yeah. somehow know each other. Do you ever talk like movies and, and horror stuff with Rob Zombie or hang? Do you guys ever have like a movie night? Like that would be so cool to watch horror movies with Rob Zombie. Um, no, I never set a whole night or anything. But I've I've been I've been around Rob a lot. I'm I'm super excited for his monsters thing. I think that's that the remake. Yeah, he's he's probably the biggest monster fan that I know besides myself. Uh, so having him take control of that, I know you read everybody online. Oh, he's going to, what's he going to do with the monsters? What's blah, blah, blah. I'm like, he's probably going to do it justice and do it the way he wanted to see it. And, uh, I can't think of a cooler thing to have. I mean, I, I told zombie, I'm like, you got the ultimate dream job. You get to play rock music and you get to make horror movies. That's what I've always wanted to do. And, and, uh, but I, I I've sat down with Rob. We've talked about movies and stuff before I've, Big fan of House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. Oh, yeah. uh, we've definitely talked about movies and stuff, but I haven't haven't got the honor to to hang out and watch movies all night. Hopefully, he'll invite me to this Monsters premiere, and I can go. And I, yeah. Do that. Well, that's I mean, isn't that how you got your name? Obviously, Wednesday is from Wednesday Adams, but I didn't know. Th- I thought Thirteenth was maybe Friday the Thirteenth, but no, it's Thirteen Thirteen from the Monsters. Yes, yes, that was the 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 two things I combined. I mean, I was trying to come up with a cool stage name. I mean, my real name's Joe Poole. So I can't be Joe Poole, the singer. I gotta be. So I wanted something cool. Wednesday, always loved Wednesday Adams. Uh, I really liked the remakes and Christina Ritchie's Wednesday was amazing. She was such a little bitch. Uh, <laughs> and I, I love that. And there wasn't anybody that I saw, like I wanted the name that was, that sounded like a rock star name or something from space. And, and, you know, some Nikki six, the, 
Ziggy Stardust. So I became Wednesday 13, give myself a number. Uh, and the 1313 was the Mockingbird thing, uh, Mockingbird Lane, which is the address for the monsters. And um, so, yeah, that was kind of the combination. Although most people probably think, you know, Friday the 13th. That's what I thought, yeah. People that don't know me, even though they'll hear the band name, they still can't say it. Go, Here's Wednesday the 13th. <laughs> I just let them go with Wait. the card. So what was uh but what was Audrey three your alter ego? Where did you come up with that one? Uh, that's called too much time on your hands. Uh, okay. the, basically, my the band prior to Murder Dolls was my Frankenstein Drag Queens band, and my name in the band was Wednesday Thirteen. We constantly changed costumes and different wigs. We were just like this weird band, and I could do anything weird. So I weird mind goes oh well why don't i just create 13 different personalities and i'll be wednesday 13 i'll be audrey three i'll be and i had like three or four different things that i did the audrey three was the blonde leopard outfit which is basically named after a little shop of horror as a little thing was audrey two so oh, okay audrey three gotcha uh, and there was a couple other ones but it just never we didn't play enough shows to ever get all 13 of those <laughs> personalities out. <laughs> we played like three shows in, in six months. So uh, okay. it's an idea that I had and I got a couple of photos and enough that you heard about it. You know what I mean? So that's, yeah. about, as far, that's about as far as it went. All right. Well, that's cool. All right. Well, I'll let you get back to work because I know you're so busy. Um, I do end each episode uh, promoting a charity of some sort. Is there a charity that you're uh, that you like to give a shout out to here at the end? I like cats. So any kind of cat animal charities things, that's, that's my thing. I'm I love upset. cats. Okay. I'll put something in the uh, show notes that people can donate to. Um, do you have cats? I have one little cat named scream. She is my sidekick, my, my child. She's my fur buddy. What so, kind of, uh, what, what color is she or black, black as hell. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She's my, she's my baby. Uh, and, all I do literally all day, if I, if I'm ever have time to scroll on social media and, you know, do your, I watch cat videos all day. Do you I, ever I, watch, I wait, what now, what kind do you watch though? Cause sometimes I'll get like, I don't know how these come up in my newsfeed, but it'll be on Facebook and it'll be these ones where they're rescuing the cats and the cats all like decrepit. I'm like, no. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. it makes you watch it because you don't want to see the, you want to make sure the cat's okay. It's kind of like sick in a way. Yeah, some of those aren't my favorites, but I luckily I follow like black cats of Instagram, uh, and there's just so many pages and stuff. And I, yeah. I literally just I, I mean, <clears throat> I was telling somebody one time we were we were flying to Europe, and we had like a ten hour flight, and all my band guys were all in the plane. Everybody's got their little TV on, and you have hundreds of movies to choose from: the new movies, new Batman, new Avengers, new this, whatever. I'm looking over. Guitar players watching Batman, other guys watching Avengers. Everyone's watching all these new movies, and I'm watching the BBC 10 Things You Didn't Know About Cats. I'm just never watching. Like, <laughs> that's that's what I do. Uh, so yeah, I'm just I'm constantly just that's my, that's my favorite thing. I don't know. I, I I've always liked cats, but I think in the past few years it's just been like they're the most adorable, cutest things ever. Ruining my image right now by saying that. But, uh, <laughs> no, I yeah. love it. That's awesome. All right, I'll put that in the show notes along with your website. People can check you out this summer on tour. It's going to wait. 
You're, are you going to Europe now, or I forget when the U.S. No, no, no. Uh, we're off basically uh, till the tour starts September 4th at the Rainbow Show we were just talking about with okay. Ford. Uh, and then that leads up to the 23rd and then uh, of October, and then we go to Europe, and that starts with ministry October 28th, I believe. And uh, so that's our touring for the year. New album is out October 7th. First single is out August 7th. Okay, I can't wait. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I, I, I'm just like discovering more of your music and your deep catalog and going through all of it. It's great. I love it. It's a lot, a lot of music there. A lot of I tell people all the time, like, man, I've never heard of you. I'm like, well, if you like it, you got a lot of homework, you know. So you can yes. catch up on it. the ninth, ninth record, two Murder Doll records, five Frankenstein Drag Queen albums, three Bourbon Crow albums. So you know, I've been busy since I got out of high school. I love it. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Thanks so much, Wednesday. Hey, so man. Thank you for having me, dude. I appreciate it. All right. We'll see you later. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Wednesday 13 for coming on the show. See him on tour and look out for the new album coming out in October uh, or may already be out if you're listening to this in the future. And uh, support my guests of the show. Uh, follow them on social media. Share their stuff. Buy their merch. See them live. Uh share their music with a friend Uh, the guests really appreciate that and uh, check out some of my other episodes if you enjoyed this one i had on wednesday's bandmate from the murder dolls ac slade and uh his old the old bass player uh, from uh and bourbon crow counterpart ray and belshare was on the show i had doyle from the misfits on uh it's a terrible interview but uh people seem to love that one for some reason so thanks for listening have a great day and shoot for the moon